Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. My guest today, as you've heard, is Genevieve Chang. Her book is The Good Girl of Chinatown. How are we meant to take the word good in that, uh, Genevieve? Um, and we're going to riff on a few themes mm. here. Okay. But the first uh, theme, mm. burlesque in China. That'll give the listeners something to think about. Mm. What's going on? Yeah, okay. So um, my story tells my journey uh, going back to China. I suppose I say back because um, it's the country where my family originally came from and I went back um, after growing up in Australia to discover what China was all about. And um, I was married at the time and uh, I discovered a city that was very hedonistic, very decadent, full of temptation. My uh, marriage fell apart and then I met this New York vaudevillian who, like a lot of foreigners, were coming to China uh, just wanting to seize upon the opportunity of the wild, wild east and who want to open the country's first burlesque club. But this is so fascinating because you've got a China uh, because you go back to your family history, your mm. grandparents, mm. so you've got nationalism and communism. Mm. You've got the Chinese then with your parents becoming migrants, then um, a sort of uh, foreigner, a Chinese uh, origin, you yourself, but going back, uh, so to speak, and you've got all these different periods of attitudes and values, and the change is enormous. It is. Yeah, no, I'm really glad that you picked that up. Um, I suppose I didn't realise I was going to be doing so much time travelling in this memoir. At first, I thought I was writing my memoir, which, you know, I'm um, I'm younger than 40 years old. I won't say exactly <laughs> how old I am. But, you know, it's not a huge span of history relatively speaking. But then when I was writing my story about going back to China to discover what that heritage was, um, I couldn't ignore my my grandparents' stories about China coming up. When I moved to China, I didn't realise um, explicitly that I was going to uh, to write about my grandparents or research that part of my family history. It was really just to, I, I got swept up on um, what China could be and its opportunities. But then when I was writing my book and talking about the things that had happened, history started coming back and intruding on the contemporary narrative and everything seemed to make a lot more sense when I was like going back another 60 years. But I can't get over the changing values you would have come across, uh, which play a very uh, interesting part in your book in terms of the prejudices of people which are entrenched in some ways mm. in cultural heritage, mm. but having to meet changing times and mm. the new era. Yeah. So um, you, you come across a lot of prejudice, for example. I do. So um, racism is a strong theme in my book, but um, racism in different manifestations. Certainly um, growing up not part of the dominant white culture in Australia is a certain kind of racism experience, but I think the um, the most shocking racism I experienced was the racism I encountered 
moving to China because there I was thinking I was going back to the country of my ancestral homeland. I would discover my heritage and no longer would I be a minority. I would be part of the dominant culture. But I go to China and I discover um, a country that is so desperate to shed the shackles of the past um, and to embrace um, the new millennium and to embrace progress and progress and prestige to the Chinese at the time was about the West. So being a performer, um, I found that a lot of people didn't want my face on stage. Um, they wanted a white face a and European they said face. that to me. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. We'll just pause for a moment. We've got a donation, have we? Uh, and look, what have you first got? of all... Yes, I, I want to acknowledge John Harrison's donation, $100. John, look, thank oh, you wonderful. so sincerely. I'll be in touch to find out what type of book you would like. Now, I'm hearing about this book. This book sounds as if it's political, but I know, when a book starts, I woke up naked and alone. <laughs> you, know, you know it's not going to be political. And this is the very young, uh, very hungover dancer, not knowing really what happened the night before. Is that what a good girl would do? Now, this uh, Genevieve, she, her parents had expectations. Yes, my parents had expectations. Um, yeah, no, certainly, uh, as is quite common in the migrant experience, um, being a first-generation Australian from a, a background that was not part of the dominant culture, it was all about getting good marks. It was all about behaving well. It was all about keeping a low social profile. And, you know, um, I'm just going to, like, say it. Asians are known as the modern minority, <laughs> you know, um, in the West. And that's because, you know, there is a particular conditioning which is about being a model citizen so that our difference is minimised. And when uh, you did buck the rules, when yeah. you only got a fourth, not a first, you know, your father sort of showed that he yeah. could be very heavy-handed. Yes, violent, actually. So, yeah. uh, just a quote from the book, mm. I felt my body was a sponge for my father's rage. I felt his love drain away like bathwater. And mm. it could be the first, you know, sort of instance that, you know, your connection with men and relationships. <laughs> but it, it, it's several layers there because mm. you've got the pressures on your father, mm. given that historical background mm. but then what how it leads to your own development and your mm. notion of relationships with yeah me. so I guess you know I'm I am drawing a parallel in the book if people choose to see it between cultural displacement and domestic violence so you know reflecting on my father's story for for this book it was quite clear to me that the the violence started after we moved to Australia and it was quite clear to me that he would have experienced a lot of alienation and hostility coming to Australia and therefore a loss of personal power and he needed to overcompensate for that in the family home. But the personal power is, mm. is also something that's in some ways culturally inherited. You're meant to fulfil a certain role and with a changing society, that's harder and harder to do. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, I suppose, yeah, from my from my parents' situation, I think they wanted to um, almost shut themselves off from 
the, the changing times outside. I mean, their idea of being Chinese is kind of locked in 1970s Taiwan. You know, it became, and you know, you see this in on various levels. I mean, that's exactly what China did in the 20th century. It closed itself down, you know, from foreigners, from the outside influence. And that's kind of what my parents did on a micro level with the family home. Before we get on to then the new China, we've got a few donations that have come in. Yes, we have Lynette Yates, very generously has donated $50 Whoa. towards a radiothon Lovely. for her book, Black Rock, White City. Very uh, welcome money, uh, Lynette. But can I, um, do you have another one, Jan? I do. I've got Melissa Ross, who rang in from uh, Doncaster. Melissa, thank you so much for your donation. Fantastic. But can I just pick up on what Genevieve was saying? This might be an apt time to play a message from Jermaine Greer. Oh, lovely. I'm Jermaine Greer, and you're listening to 3CR Treaty Now. Well, that was uh, Jermaine <laughs> <Jemaine> Greer. <Korea. laughs> um, Just. Um, look, I, we've talked about your father, but your mother's advice was do not black marry a black man. Hmm. So mm. <laughs> who was yeah. your first husband? Um, yeah, so he was a Nigerian British yoga teacher. He was a black man. Yes, and both, it came from both of my parents. Um, so I guess, again, talking about sealing off the family home from outsiders um, also manifested in racism to other cultures as but well. But being the, the, the subject of prejudice, mm. having it inflicted on mm. them, mm. It, they then inflicted on others, so to speak. We mm. can't seem to escape uh, inherited prejudices in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think racism is a construct. It doesn't have the same face or expression um, in every part of the world, in every family, in, in every area. Um, racism is kind of defined by um, the culture within which it takes place. So just because, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, so just because my parents or just because people have experienced racism um, themselves doesn't mean that they won't transfer that same prejudice to others. Yeah. I mean, the other thing was about the changing China. And you've got these periods of change that are occurring. You're taking burlesque into the new China, which would have, in what a particular time, abhorred it. Uh, Then there was a sort of acceptance of it, but then there's a sort of... um, Yes, how would you say? Some of the uh, financial interests take hold. Mm. What's the acceptance? Why did mm. uh, these groups want burlesque in China and the changing face of yeah. what's going on? Well, look, um, so what happened was I, I met a New York vaudevillian when I moved to Shanghai. This was 2008. And a lot of foreigners were coming to China wanting to um, get rich quick, you know, like the GFC was happening everywhere else in the world and China was – um, perceived to be somewhere that was going to be cushioned from that because of its um, economic growth and, um, yeah, the, the rising middle class and, and all of that stuff. So um, this New York vaudevillian had been working in New York City operating illegal speakeasies um, and burlesque clubs, but 
you know, apparently he saw the writing on the wall, which was, you know, America's economy was going bust and it was all about China. Not just China, I should say, but definitely Shanghai. So Shanghai historically has always been... Um, known as a decadent city. In the early 20th century, it was, you know, the busiest trading port in the world. So it was a melting pot of different cultures, definitely a place where East met West and old and new could coexist. Also, um, Shanghai was born out of the trade of opium as well. So, you know, it was a city where vice was and wickedness was quite normalised. But under communism, that would have been wiped quite, out, wiped out yeah. completely. Yes. So I'm just interested in the shock value of bringing that back into that community and what that uh, the Shanghai community were actually wanting. Okay, that's interesting. So, but the Shanghai community was full of expats too. Yeah, and it was a lot of these expats. You know, wealthy. um, You know, they they can afford the the, Mm. the high flat rents and and uh, and they also I, I love that term. Quite often, the men who were working, the women were trailing spouses. Mm. Yes. With time on their hands, money and time on their hands. Yes. So they were keen to um, sort yeah. of find something more interesting. And sort of, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop here because more interesting things. We have donations from Leslie Gorham, Joe Havlusian. And I've got one here from Liz Tromans of Q. Please elaborate on what the book is about Marshall's Law. Oh, oh that was right. A little message oh, for you. that's a that's a message for me. Later Don't on. worry <laughs> Don't about worry. that. Okay. Let's get back to this book. <laughs> it's so fascinating in terms of what's taking place in China. <laughs> but just one thing, because I know some of the things that um, Genevieve Chang, our author today, worked at in Shanghai, were as disper- you know, very. You you were a New Year's Eve party that was bigger than Ben Hur. You uh, did a private dance for Jackie Chan, and. The um, Shanghai Expo, uh, 7 million tourists, and you did a Kylie show. Yes, I, yes, that's right. But I'm I just thinking of, of the Australian government, you know, coming to call on your door. Oh, it's got to be a in, sitcom in that. It, it, it wasn't necessarily um, a, an organised, um, pre-planned uh, call by the Australian government. How did it happen? Yeah, Um <laughs> Look, yeah, and I guess just to um, talk about it a little bit more broadly, I did find myself as a showgirl in uh, modern-day Shanghai simultaneously promoting the Chinese 1930s Shanghai culture and, and being, you know, the ideal aesthetic of the Shanghai woman and then, you know, getting a call from the Australian government and promoting the Australian government and <laughs> dressing up as an android and dancing to um, that song by Kylie. What was it? Oh, no. <laughs> Can't get you out of my head. That's right. Oh, right. <laughs> so, you know, it was quite hilarious and really quite symptomatic of my um, identity crises. Um, so, yeah, what happened at that point was it was 2010. The club had been open for just a bit over a year year or maybe yeah almost a year and uh things were starting to crash and burn a little bit shall we say and um the shanghai expo was viewed as our last chance to come back from the brink because there we were expecting millions and millions of tourists coming to shanghai and we thought that they would come to our club chinatown and when they didn't eventuate into chinatown we thought we'd go to them we're going to go to the um the australian what was it called? 
Pavilion. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Australian Pavilion. And we're going to um, pitch the idea of doing this Chinatown version of Kylie. But it's a, an economic um, sort of reality. It's an economic reality mm. uh, we're facing oh, today yeah, on our radio. Do, do we need to ask people for money? Well, we've, we've been, well, we we haven't given the number for a while. It's oh, 94198377. Yes. Sorry, you. Well, I was going to be uh, playing a couple of pre-recorded ones. Here we go with the first. Ring up now. Radiothon is a time for raising money, but it's also a time when we get to hear back from our listeners about how you feel about the station. We'd love to hear from you during Radiothon, so ring up, donate and have a chat. Our number is 9419 8377. 3CR, Radio for Change. So the the economic reality... Oh, there's more to go. Are you wondering how to pay your donation? You can pay online by going to 3cr.org.au or call us on 94198377. You can also visit us in person at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy and pay by cash, cheque or FTPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. 3CR, Radio for Change. As you would have noticed, Genevieve, we've got digital technology here. Ewan is holding up fingers and counting <laughs> down when it's uh, appropriate to talk. We've got the best of everything at 3CR. Um, right, uh, you mentioned uh, the sort of uh, personal uh, effects in many ways, mm. which is often uh, the most challenging aspect of a book to write mm. because, yes... There's um, your father's abuse in many ways mm. and how it affected you. Mm. And there's an association with um, then or a connection with how it affects your relationship with men. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so I think one of the things that might come up upon the reading of the book is um, the way I look and, and pursue um, dance as a way to regain control of my body um, after a childhood where my father, um, yeah, was violent and felt that he had the right to control my body, you know, tell me um, what I could do with her, who I could date, you know, all of those things. So I think my journey into dance um, was partly motivated by that. In terms of my relationship with men, I mean, I know that there's that kind of oddly, um, yeah, oddly manifested um, situation where I was told that I couldn't date a black man and then I end up marrying a, a, a black man, my husband. But that wasn't, I wouldn't say that that was consciously me rebelling. It, it felt like, you know, it just happened and even to the extent that I had thought by then my parents would have calmed down in their prejudices and I was still really, really shocked when they refused to accept my marriage and very, very hurt as well. But if I may, there's mm. another suggestion behind mm. that marriage as to why it took place, being in England and mm. such. Yes, that's true. So, um, okay, so I had run away to, <laughs> to London in my early 20s. I mean, ostensibly to train as a dancer and it was a limited visa and 
serendipitously, I um, met the man who would be my husband and we fell in love. But sure, if I hadn't had the um, the very real need to find a way to stay in the country, we probably wouldn't have expedited the marriage. a marriage. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, all of those sorts of things. Well, there's a lot of running away in the story, isn't there? Yeah. You know, yeah, she just said you were running away from your family and, and then from his family to, yes. took you to Shanghai. But what I really liked about this story, it was interspersed your story with your uh, parents' story and your grandparents' story and your great grandparents story and it gave me such a gel of you know a little bit of history into China you know yeah. the great famine you lost your great your great mm. grandparents in that yes and then um, you, a lot of your aunties are, were killed through the Japanese bombing and yeah you know this Japanese bombing and the occupation by Japan sort of forcing mm. your family to move and meet each other and they mm. met each other because of the Cultural Revolution. You know, your uh, grandmother was much wealthier than your grandfather. She'd never have looked at him. Mm. <laughs> but these yeah. changes, these historical yeah. changes have it's brought in, about in generations. generational yeah. changes, attitudinal changes yes. within the culture. Yes. it. I think, you know, really importantly... One of the takeaways in writing the book and possibly in reading the book is that the personal is political. Care to elaborate? The personal is political? Yeah. Yeah. So um, our lives are affected by the politics of the day. Um, And something that really struck me as I was living my life in China, even though I was running with a very um, privileged expat population. And just what were you Mm. wearing? Just tell me again, what did you inherit from a very uh, oh, wealthy yeah, woman? True. So did you look particularly good while you were running I, in the celebrity I thought you were ace asking or... what she was wearing while she was burlesque dancing. Oh, n- not but there's, much. there's another not story. Not much. Yes, that's true. Yes, yeah, so there are multiple layers. But yes, one of the uh, fortuitous things that happened, I suppose, when I was living in Shanghai was that I inherited a designer wardrobe. Oh. So um, I inherited about a dozen tea chests of Prada dresses and Vivian Westwood and Gucci and things that I would never have been able to afford. Um, But yes, I kind of reinvented myself to be not just this showgirl, but this kind of, you know, um, heightened, glamorous (laughs) um, creature of the night. Um, So, well, see, this is is where I I looked at uh, your Asian name, which Mm. meant round pearl yes. and I thought yeah you what you've done is you've traveled around mm. to find the inner soul the inner pearl of your of your being oh thank you <laughs> but each oyster needs a bit of irritation to, to oh. produce that gem <laughs> no. including our author today Genevieve Chang whose book is the good girl of Chinatown and it's a penguin release yeah